0: Welcome to the Call to Farms Podcast. This is a rallying cry to embrace the land, cultivate self-sufficiency, and sow the seeds for sustainability.
1: While you might believe what Monsanto put on their label as far as what this stuff does, you might not believe it, and that's okay if you don't believe what's true. But the fact is is that these things that we're putting on there are going into the deer that we're eating. And while we might have these spectacular lush food plots, the fact is is that those chemicals are residual and they're getting in what we're eating indirectly. And, you know, and the fact is, is that, you know, I wouldn't want that for anybody, let alone our own children.
0: Hi, I'm Tim Ng, and I'm your host today, and I'm joined with Dale and Pam Hefner. I'm on location at their home in Kentucky, where they've graciously welcomed me to go on my very first bow hunting experience. Dale is not only an avid hunter, but he is also a coach, mentor, preacher, and friend. Dale and Pam are caretakers to over 3,700 acres of private hunting grounds in Kentucky, where they are beginning to implement more regenerative farming practices and eliminating the use of harmful chemicals. I'm excited for them to share their story with you today. Dale and Pam, you both have a very special job now where you are caretakers to almost 4,000 acres of private property in Kentucky. Now, this is not a job you can find on LinkedIn or Indeed or Monster (laughs) Jobs. How did you even come about getting this opportunity, really, and if you don't mind sharing your story?
1: Well, we had gone to... Visit her mom with the family out in Missouri. It must have been the early 2015. And on the way back, I we could have taken a northern route or a slightly southern route.
2: Well, the girls were playing music out there. at
1: <clears throat> Yeah, they were actually uh, playing at the gospel and bluegrass competition in Branson, okay. Missouri.
2: Branson, at Silver Dollar City.
1: Yeah, they were one of 20 bands that were invited to play from across the country. So we made it, it was a super awesome vacation for us. You know, it was a proud moment for both of us as parents to watch your children get up there on a stage and and singing gospel music and, you know, just very reverent, very Holy Ghost filled time there. So on the way back, I thought, wow, you know, we could, there's an archery competition that weekend. We could just drive south into London, Kentucky, instead of just taking I-70 all the way across back to Pennsylvania. And I'll get an opportunity to shoot in this archery competition, which I've always wanted to shoot in that uh, ASA format, but we lived so far north that they really didn't have a lot of competitions up there for that. So while we were out shooting, uh, the girls and myself, um, Pam was talking to one of the ladies at one of the vendor booths. I was telling her about the Scholastic 3D Archery Program, Mm -hmm. and
2: Jenny Richardson.
1: Jenny Richardson, yeah. She must have, um, anyway, Pam must have given her our name. Um, so we had the competition that weekend. It was a lot of fun, really good time. We get back to Pennsylvania. And then uh, one or two days after we get back, I got a call from the national director. He said, Well, I heard you're interested in being involved in this archery program. <laughs> and I said, Well, I'm not really sure where you got that information from. <laughs> And he's talking to me and asking me, inquiring, "Hey, can you help us out with this program? You know, would you be interested in helping with this, helping to help to grow this program?" And I said, "Well, now we got, I've got i got five children at home. We homeschool our kids. I own my own business. Uh, it was a mobile auto repair business that i had owned. Had a lot of commercial fleet accounts, so I was pretty busy. And and pastored a church. On top of that." So I was spread a little thin, and I probably told him five or six times while he was talking to me that now I'm not interested. I don't think I'm your guy. I think maybe <laughs> somebody else can help you out. And he said, man, we'd really like to help these kids and, and uh, if we had somebody in Pennsylvania to do that. And I said, well, what do, you, what do you need? Like, how can I help you? Because you're so adamant about it, and you're, if a man's asking you to walk with him a mile, the Lord says walk with him two miles. So, when he, um, when I finally said, how can I help? He said, we need a state coordinator. I said, what does that entail? And he says, well, somebody that's going to coordinate the state and set up tournaments and start new clubs and train new coaches and et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, that sounds like a lot of stuff and uh i said well okay you got some kind of manual or something to go by is there some way we can get this thing started he's like well we don't have a manual yet he said you can do whatever you want i said okay so you want me to take the one of the largest states in the union pennsylvania Mm -hmm. and start a brand new program that doesn't extend past kentucky as far as going north and what kind of resources do we have He's like, Well, you know, you have to figure out a way to to come up with money. And then you got to figure out a way to get the archers. And then you got to figure out a way to train the coaches. (laughs) And I said, Okay, so you want me to do all of that. Um, I said, So what's it pay? He said, Well, nothing. (laughs) And I said, Well, that sounds like my life, man. (laughs) So I said, Okay, I'll do it. You know, so, um, you know, the Lord was really gracious with it, honestly, because uh, when I said I would do it, You know, I've I've, I've had coaching background before, you know. I'd done some, you know, just recreational coaching, I would call it. You know, I was coaching youth league soccer, you know, my wife and I got married out in Colorado for the Park and Rack. And uh, I had a couple people ask me, which one of these is your kids? And I said, well, none of them. (laughs) (laughs) They said, so you just do this for fun? I'm like, yeah, man, I, I just love playing soccer, you know. So, anyway, so we started the program. Um, I had a customer of mine who was a a high school gym coach, and I said, hey, you want to start an archery program? And he said, man, that'd be great. I said, okay, well, I'll train you how to teach your kids, and I'll come over after school, and we'll get this thing started. He said, well, I just had somebody gave me a bunch of archery equipment from one of the elementary schools that they weren't using. And I said, well, that works out awesome. So it started growing from there, and then um, we reached out to a bunch of the homeschool groups that we knew and said, hey, would any of your kids be interested in shooting archery? And then I reached out to a couple archery clubs. Actually, they weren't even archery clubs. They were just archery shops. And I said, hey, would you be interested in allowing these kids to come in here and shoot in your range? And, uh, you know, it would be beneficial to you because... You'll probably sell some product, and also it would be beneficial to these kids because they'll have a place to come and do this. And as homeschoolers, um, you don't have the, the local school to go to to borrow the gymnasium and stuff like that, so you're you're kind of limited. So that's the avenue we really started looking at it, and, man, it really started taking off. And it only took a few months, um, and we had a couple programs gone, and then we got a, a call, must have been like, September maybe um, that year. Uh, Jenny Richardson, the lady that got us involved in the program in the first place, said, "Hey, you're, you're really enjoying the, the work you're doing. You're really doing a great job. You know, I mean, you really just got this thing up and going." And uh, she said, "You're the newest state coordinator, and and um, we'd like to invite you down to meet with the board of directors and give them your feedback for for what." You know, what you think about the program and, and anything that might be helpful. And I said, well, okay. And then she said, well, we're going to pay for the trip and, and you know, your fare and gas and food. And and you can also hunt the farm down here where we're going to host the event. Mm-hmm. And we're going to pay for your Kentucky hunting license. <laughs> well, as an avid hunter, yeah, what I heard was we're going to pay for your Kentucky hunting license. Mm-hmm. Come on and hunt. Yep. So that's when we first got introduced to uh, um, Victoria's Crossroads, Pape's, Pape's Farm, mm-hmm. you know, where we're currently living. Uh, so that was kind of the introduction to uh, Fred Pape. And the, uh, you know, in Kentucky was where the Scholastic 3D Archery program started. So, um, so that's how we get started in the program, you know, as a state coordinator. So I was a uh, husband and a father, mm-hmm. and a pastor, and a business owner, <laughs> and a state coordinator for archery, and an archery instructor, and coach, and kind of the jack of, of all trades, you know.
0: You sound like a perfect homesteader.
1: Man, I got a lot, a lot of <laughs> hats that we wear, you know. Yeah. So I got a whole whole closet full of hats so I got to change out.
0: So what exactly do you both do? As caretakers for this property?
1: Well, uh, um, I guess my responsibilities mostly lied uh, or laid with the, um, you know, Fred needed somebody to uh, primarily wanted someone to be able to, you know, effectively maintain and, and take care of all the equipment that's down here, you mm-hmm. know, excavator, bulldozer. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got six tractors, implements, um, and things that he uses for, you know, the, the, the farming. And primarily, we don't really do any row crop farming. You know, there aren't any cash crops that we actually produce here. We, we plant um, food plots and do timber stand improvements and take care of some of the wildlife habitat management for uh, almost for exclusively deer hunting and, and turkey hunting. Um, so my job was keep the vehicles running, Mm -hmm. the equipment running, and then whatever other farm work came into it. And so that was pretty much my introduction to welcome to the farm, Mm -hmm. you know, as far as planting a food plot, what kind of seeds we put in, um, how do we take care of the ground, you know, seeing problems from one season to the next and really just asking the Lord, like, Hey, how do we fix that? you know especially so many things in the scriptures talk about being good stewards of the land Mm -hmm. and in fact the lord made us stewards over all of his creation and so when it comes to um being a hunter you know it's beneficial to to me to be able to learn and how to sustain a herd of animals um in a wildlife situation you know not necessarily in a pen but you know, and there's, so there's a lot involved in that. There's everything from, you know, the deer live in the woods, you know, probably 95% of their lives, and then they come out into the fields and eat at night, and typically that's where people see them or on the sides of the roads. But inside those woods, you know, there's a whole ecosystem that needs to be tended to and maintained. Um, you know, if you got old growth timber, you're not going to have very much forage growing on the ground. You're choking out the sunlight, and so how do we improve that? Um and why would I want to improve the habitat in a forest, somebody would ask. Well, I would want to improve the habitat in the forest because deer need something to eat in there. They need cover. Or if they're going to give birth to uh, new fawns every spring, they need a place to, to fawn. They need a place to escape from predators. And coyotes are a, a growing problem you know, all the way across the country. And um, so... That's a lot of fun for me. So when we first moved down here in 2016, I went through uh, the University of Clemson and actually got um, a certification through uh, deer stewardship. It was a specifically targeted deer steward program. Uh, It was about 200 hours worth of class time. Wow. And uh, so it changed. It kind of revolutionized my thoughts. A lot of things that I'd noticed as a hunter I got the answers for. It. I was like, well, I wonder why it's like this. You know, wonder why I don't see deer here when it looks like it's a deery place. Um, you know, what about the food plots? You know, what do they eat? How do they eat? What's the biology of a deer? Uh, how old do deer live? How do they see? You know, what spectrums do they see with their eyes? You know, why do I not want to wear a blue sweatshirt when I go out hunt versus the old black and red plaid church you know like your grandfather's wore.
0: i'm Um, glad you mentioned that actually so then you were a big game hunter before but with this new position or it's not new now but with this job has it it sounds like it's helped you become a better hunter and and more appreciative of the wildlife
1: definitely appreciative um definitely appreciative of the of the game you know i've got an admiration for what the lord made in them um and the fact is is that you know you can make a you know you can make catastrophic errors in maintaining wildlife Mm -hmm. um you know if you look at it if you can do it on a a a thirty-seven hundred acre parcel of land um if you make good choices things will turn out better um you know the quality and the health of the herd is important and so some of the things that i feel that i've learned here on this small parcel is that I believe that they could be applied on a million acres worth of parcel you know so we could effectively as uh as hunters as um mm-hmm. stewards of you know our countries you know that it's it's it comes down to the hunters as well to to maintain a good conscience toward how they're taking care of of animals in an area you know
0: yeah that's good so you take care of the machines and equipment and the land management. Pam, do you, I saw you had a, you know, garden going on and you have chickens and are you in charge of that
2: out here? Well, Becky, our youngest daughter's in charge of the chickens. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I do like garden. And then I also go uh, to the lodge after the guests are gone. Then I clean the lodge and get it ready for the next group that's coming in and some maintenance landscaping stuff or yeah painting the boathouse or whatever um
0: you both have the gift gift of hospitality for sure (laughs) um i wanted to also ask if you can elaborate on gabe brown's like dirt to soil and this is something that was this something that you brought up to the the landowner or was it something that you brought up dale it
1: was a combined conspiracy. Okay.
0: Can you tell a little (laughs) bit about like, why did you bring it up and what impact has it had on the land that you're managing?
2: Yeah. Would I just, uh, we had Fred and I had movie night one night and I watched the YouTube, (laughs) one of the YouTube videos uh, with him and, um,
0: snuck it in there.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Because he, uh, Gabe Brown was a good um, person for him to um, you know listen to one of his uh, lectures or presentations because um, Fred knows all that stuff like we don't know a lot about conventional farming and we don't even know what he's you know like the different um, things that he puts on there sometimes and whatever He's he knows all of it off the top of his head just like you know he farms like a conventional farmer and is good at it and has done it for so many years, but um
1: a lot of chemicals, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, so he knows all about the chemicals we don't really know about that so um but Gabe Brown explains that because that's the group of people that he's working with, you know mm-hmm. on large scale farming right so um is uh, so able to understand that part about it in his presentation that he talks about you know some of the things that are over my head then Fred knows exactly what he's talking about and you know we're done watching it and he says well i'm gonna go plant some more of those daikon radishes you know and um (laughs) and he and uh, you know sometimes i'll ask him like i just called him the other day is it too late to uh to plant this cover crop or whatever and he knows it all off the top of his head. He he does has been doing cover crops just not as intensively maybe um, you know and so I think he's ready to starting to make that conversion especially when the fertilizer prices went up mm-hmm. so high. That's that right. is an incentive for anybody, you know. As a frugal so.
1: as a frugal businessman, that was uh, money talks well with him. And you know we had noticed some things, and you know I'd talked to him on several occasions about the the what I would consider just overuse of of chemicals, especially glyphosate. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> one day I talked to him, and we we were spraying some weed in a field, and I was like, Fred, I have sprayed this field four times this year, the same spots. Yeah. that i sprayed the last 7 years that i've been here <laughs> now i haven't been doing this for 30 years right. but i don't see that it's working
0: it's not solving the problem i
1: believe we need to go a different route yeah and uh and then i shared with them i said look i i believe while you might believe what Monsanto put on their label as far as what this stuff does right it has long lasting effects i said mm-hmm. and, you know and we've i have had two of our daughters, um, you know, that had multiple miscarriages. Mm. And I said, and while that's a personal thing with me, and I said, well, you might not believe it, and that's okay if you don't believe what's true, but the fact is is that these things that we're putting on there are going into the deer that we're eating, and while we might have these spectacular lush food plots, the fact is, is that those chemicals are residual and they're getting in what mm. we're eating Indirectly, Yeah. And, you know, and the fact is, is that, you know, I wouldn't want that for anybody, let alone our own children. And so with the research and the information that's available out there for us, you know, we've got to look at what's right and true. And, you know, not every government agency is going to be looking out for us. Not every, you know, the FDA isn't always looking out for us. The chemical companies are their jobs to sell chemicals mm-hmm. and at whatever it costs it and at whatever cost, even if it's human loss cost. And, um, and I believe that the Lord made a cleaner way. I mean, we're, we're planting food plots. We're not really, we're not feeding the world with this stuff, you know, so we're feeding deer. And at the same time, you know, if I go out there and we spend $2,800 for a buggy of fertilizer, why would I pay $2,800 for a bugger of nitrogen? Well, 98% of the Earth's atmosphere is nitrogen. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, so we were at an archery tournament, and Pam and I were talking, and we had watched the video on Gabe Brown, and I was really inspired by it, you know? Mm-hmm. It, you know, More of a natural, yeah. um, you know, even the food plots, even, you know, we've got clover and chicory and... And um, alfalfa that we mix in there in a different variety of clover blends. And there's some soybean that we put out. And uh, this year we actually planted some uh, some sun hemp, you know. Um, you know, we're trying to figure out what's the perfect formula for food plots, right? You know, do you need food and cover? How do we provide that? And then the next thing I'm thinking of, and we were talking with Fred, was how do we alleviate the need for all these chemicals?
0: mm mm-hmm. you know.
1: How do we do that well since i'm not an authoritative expert uh i'm just the mechanic sometimes (laughs) nevertheless Gabe brown wasn't just a mechanic he was a a bona fide Mm -hmm. you know this guy's making his living for the last 25 years and so pam and i were inspired by it and we put some of those practices into and uh she's put them into her her gardening uh for our personal food and then, um, so we went, actually went to an archery tournament that weekend and I said, Hey, maybe we can, maybe we can have Fred come down here and he'd watch that video with you. So she invited him up for dinner and
2: he would, um, you know, look at stuff that I was doing in the garden. Cause I didn't know till, and I mean, he had already started doing no till. I don't know. Even when we got here, so at least eight years ago, he'd already been doing no till, mm-hmm. um, And so, um, but then he would look at what I was doing on the garden, you know, building up the soil, but, and then he would say, boy, that, you know, that's really doing good. But, you know, it's different to do it on a a large scale. You know, he said, well, I can't really do that on my fields. I can't, you know, I'd put hay all over my garden or whatever. I can't really do that on the fields and stuff that was like, well,
1: and newspapers (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah cardboard i use a lot of cardboard and newspapers right. or wood chips and stuff and uh-huh. yeah you can't quite do that on a you know three acre field and i'm like yeah i guess so i don't know but then when we watched um you know the Gabe Gabe brown videos i'm like oh well there he's doing it on a large scale
0: mm-hmm.
2: i mean I, yeah i was inspired i grew up in north dakota I, di- cool. I didn't know that they had farmers like that up there you know now so that's really exciting that's a great connection and yeah. yeah and so um i guess we're all just kind of learning around the same time you know it definitely it's a whole new ball game when you're talking about acres and acres that you're trying to convert mm-hmm. and also what uh what he was talking about that you kind of had to wean your land off of the fertilizer too yeah that's you right. know that was really um Helpful to know, too. And we have to be a little more patient, maybe, you know.
0: Yeah, Gabe Brown does an excellent job with that. So be sure to check out Dirt to Soil. That's another Chelsea Green published book. So I I highly recommend it. Okay, so you mentioned that um, you work for Fred. Can you share a little bit about Fred Pape and why he's known in the the realm of, like, archery circles?
1: Yeah, Fred... um Back in the early 70s, he started a, an outdoors, you know, sporting goods store type thing mm-hmm. uh, and worked for his uh, worked for his father in the hardware business. And after a couple of years there, he, he started to get the bug for hunting himself. And he asked his father if he could put some sporting goods, some guns and stuff in his hardware store. Well, apparently it didn't take long, but uh, it turns out that the sporting goods was more profitable than the hardware store. Yeah and so they expanded that i guess you know and then um and then after a period of time i don't remember the dates you know but uh then he ended up selling the hardware portion and started papes archery Hmm. now papes archery was the largest archery supply uh store in in the country um so back in the Early 80s, there. If you had an archery shop and you were going to buy archery uh, equipment, more than likely, um, you would have bought it through Pape's Archery. Hmm. And so, for his love of archery, I mean, he actually hunted with Fred Bear. Um, and if anybody, if somebody's familiar with archery, they'll know the name Fred Bear. Yeah. And Fred. Uh, he also helped to start the uh, Archery Trade Association. He was he was just, you know, worked with some legislative stuff and starting a board of directors. And, and then um, as his archery business grew, you know, obviously became more profitable. That's when he started buying this land out here in Reynolds Station, Kentucky, at Victoria's Crossroads. Mm-hmm. So he bought this property, and this was just his personal hunting, you know, place to come to. And... Um, so he slowly started to, you know, work the land and remove some trees and put some food plots in. Um, but the thing that he did was the the archery business. And um, the lady that Pam had ended up talking to at uh, the ASA shoot mm-hmm. was Jenny Richardson, who she and Fred actually started, got together. And, and it was her idea. And Fred got together and knew how to do logistically, how to start the organization. Ah, uh, uh-huh. Um, and they also okay. ended up starting the um, National Archery in Schools program. So he loves the archery. He's got a heart for for people as well, especially and
2: for children. Oh. And, and the S3DA and the classic 3D archery also. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Which that the S3DA program they actually created to get the kids shooting outside. The NAS program was just indoor. Uh, Shooting, Mm -hmm. And then the S3DA, the 3D targets, so you're outdoors shooting the animal targets. And then more more kids getting into hunting, which was the goal. I think it's more fun.
0: It is more fun. Oh, that's great.
2: Yeah.
0: So So that's how he became a well-known person in the archery world. Mm -hmm. What are the plans for this property in the future?
1: Well, Fred was talking about... um, you know, whenever, you know, whenever he passes away, what he'd like to do is take take the property and and keep it for something that people can utilize it for, um, not just for hunting, um, but maybe some other 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 land uses, you know. And um, so he's planning on putting it into like a five hundred one c three organization for education. Mm. So there's a lot of avenues, a lot of things to look into. Uh, I mean, it's almost a blank slate, you know. But uh, archery and hunting, uh, and introducing people to hunting and introducing people to archery through this place, introducing them. Um, you know, Pam's got a knack for for the gardening, and um, you know, I got a green thumb for sure. Yeah, to be able to share some of these things with with people, other women. You know, we'll have facilities to be able to to share those things, maybe seminars and yeah wildlife seminars hunting seminars uh there's probably uh, other professional archers we could invite down that people would come and want to listen to but so that's i guess that'd be the plan in, in the future there so yeah we're, we're working close with fred just to kind of iron out some of that stuff but
0: wonderful you are known as a pro staff shooter with endorsements correct that's
1: right yeah we shoot with uh dart and archery uh as a bow manufacturer we also shoot with gold tip arrows and uh, boning archery and these are three of our sponsors and then i've got an archery product that i've um, developed and and made for teaching archery instructions called the uh, trainer x
0: that's right i actually used it to practice on because it's so cold outside but tell us a little bit more about your invention well uh, when
1: we first uh, started coaching Um, more formally for archery instruction i needed a training tool that i could put in the hands of my archers Mm -hmm. that they could actually see what it was they were doing while i was trying to explain it so it it mimics like a like a string bow it's not an actual Mm -hmm. full. it's just the small handle that fits in the hand of the archer with an adjustable cord they can put their release on it yeah and we can set it to their draw length and then as an instructor also um, able to give them um, get a feel for what it's like to actually stand at full draw and to find their anchor point and their proper hand position on the uh, on the tool and there's a laser that we attach to the top of it and so it gives a visual cue for the archer to be able to actually see and gives them immediate feedback as far as how well they're holding how steady they're holding and then I can make fine tune of adjustments from their uh, hand position their shoulder positions their anchor how much pressure they put on the trigger before they shoot. And uh, because it has the laser, it actually teaches them to keep a visual focus on the, on the target and on the mark.
0: Yeah, it was super helpful for myself and also for my 12-year-old. I mean, was really easy to operate, and it got me ready for the hunt. So yeah. thank you very much. Yeah. I was also really curious because um, archery is really big in your life, and you got your children involved with archery, Can you go into a little bit more detail as to what it was like to coach your children? I know for some parents, it may be difficult to not only just teach their children, but coach their children. So do you happen to have any tips or advice on that? Well, coaching your children, it's something
1: that some people, it comes easier than others. Um, But a lot of times I was just actually out in the yard shooting my bow. And as they got older, then they wanted to join in with me and so i started just giving them some of the ins and outs and and they picked it up well but uh i mean there was always lessons you know about keeping your eye on the mark there was lessons on your form and function and talk to them about things like discipline and archery is a disciplined sport whether you're going to be a competitive archer whether you just like shooting for fun whether you're shooting spots at a piece of paper or you're shooting 3d animal targets or you're actually going out and hunting and it requires a lot of mental discipline as well as physical discipline. It's not a hard sport, but with the proper form and technique um, and good instruction, you know, they picked it up well and, and uh, you know it fit in really well being a father and a coach because I think that's really what fathers are, are to be there for.
0: Mm-hmm. This was more than a hobby for your children. They actually competed
1: yeah, actually, um, my wife and I had sent our son to uh, to learn archery, and we lived in Colorado Springs at a local archery shop, it was called a JOAD program, the Junior Olympic Archery Development, and at that point in my life, um, I think I was 30 years old, I'd never hunted or shot archery, and after hanging out and watching these guys shoot bows for a week or two... Um, I thought it looked like it was pretty fun, so I went and bought a second-hand bow, and it had to be 2nd because we couldn't afford much more back then, mm. and uh, I picked it up and started shooting a, a white tail bear bow and shooting with fingers, and uh, one of the first tournaments I ended up shooting in, ended up Robin Hooding one of the arrows in the center of an axe and so it turns out I was pretty good at it, and so then my son and I were doing that together. And then as uh, we grew up and our daughters got older, then they had developed an interest for wanting to shoot with Dad and Dexter out in the yard. Mm -hmm. So um, we got some small bows and hand-me-down bows. And as my son grew and handed them down to the next one, um, our oldest daughter started shooting. Then the next oldest daughter started shooting. And before you know it, um, they were all shooting, and then we started, uh, we moved to Kentucky back in 2015, and we were kind of in the middle of archery, kind of like the archery part of the country there with ASA archery and Scholastic 3D archery, and we rolled onto the scene and, and uh, started competing, and the girls were just, they they were on fire. Um, they just excelled, and I think they liked the competition more between their sisters than they did sometimes the competition (laughs) that they were competing against. But it uh, made a good environment, and it was always fun for them, so I think it was easy for them to excel. So after we got all of them through high school, I mean, by the time it was said and done, our oldest daughter ended up with an archery scholarship from the University of Cumberland. She went there and finished up her college degree and, and had shot archery uh, three of the four years while she was there. The other girls had college opportunity sponsorships that they were they could have gone to college shooting archery. And uh, so between the four of them, uh, they won um, fourteen national championships and scores of uh, local competition, state championships, and things of that nature. So yeah, they were they had a really successful career. Uh, I'm a level three USA archery coach. I've got my certification several years ago, so it's a passion of mine. I enjoy the, the time being able to take somebody, um, whether they're new or old archers, and, you know, basically teach them the craft. It's uh, Archery is a really clean sport, and I enjoy being able to be out there and watch somebody excel in what they're doing, so yeah. Yeah,
0: that's definitely quite an accomplishment. I know that you have the heart of a teacher, and you've definitely fathered me through archery where I thought this was never going to be possible growing up in the city. I thought you had to grow up learning how to hunt and fish. And it's almost like a, my second chance of life in a way <laughs> because yes, sir. it's uh, it's amazing the way that you can teach and your patience. And I mean, you even uh, sat with me for hours in, in a blind and just giving me tips I can uh, only imagine what you did for your children too and so that's that's so great that they were very successful at that so that's quite an accomplishment what would you say would have, is your highlight like during that time I suppose if there
1: was a highlight in all of it mm-hmm. was the um the time that we get to spend together mm-hmm. I mean that was I mean it was a, a thing that we did as a as a family it was enjoyable um you know so I got to be there with my children and archery was a big part because we traveled together and we stayed together and you know goofed around together and went out to dinner and Mm -hmm. you know we did some competitions around the house and you know it was just it was it was part of our life um it was you know some people maybe play games together and um, other games, but no, archery was the game that we played.
0: As much as I admire you as a professional archer, I really love the fact that you're not afraid to share about Jesus, and that's something that I'm I'm working towards as well. You know, well, I'm, I'm hopeful
1: that the time we spent it was inspiring. Yeah, because if you can be a little bit more inspired, mm-hmm. and you can walk a little bit closer with mm-hmm. your Lord, then. Man, then our time together was valuable, mm. you know, because it, it's only going to grow. And you'll take that, and I believe in my heart that you'll share it with somebody else. And, you know, the the fact is that we can get children and we can, you know, a lot of the circles, we're just not trying to stay inside this tight Christian group of people. Right. We've got a lot of people that come down here to, to the farm that they're not Christians, but... I've had late-night conversations when everybody went to bed and to go get up and go hunting in the morning and sitting there ministering to God at like 2 <laughs> o'clock in the morning, yeah, talking to him about the Lord and yeah. eyes wide open. And so, um, you know, what we do with our life, uh, it, it has to be glorious to the Lord. And because what he made you to be as a man is glorious in his image. And so, if we're able to just—I don't want to just be say say simply obedient—but um, the fact is, is that treat it real because it is. You know, we want to impart something to somebody. I don't want to just tell you about the words that somebody said one time. We want to be able to to deliver it to them with strength and power, and mm-hmm. it comes through love. Mm-hmm. The love is the power and the strength. Um, you know, love you and your family. Cause I look at a, a man who loves his wife and you love your children together. And you know, that, uh, you know, while life is going to be challenging and trying, um, I wouldn't be doing a service if, uh, if I didn't take what God had given me and provide an increase, you know, I'm not going to bury it in the ground mm-hmm. and, I think that that kind of conviction is inspiring to other men whether i'm trying to do it or it just is who we are and i think honestly i just got to tell you that it's just it's who he's made me to be and uh, and i'm grateful for it you know i'm grateful to share it with whoever can come and want a drink of this cup
0: mm-hmm. that's so good thank you so much Um, Dale and Pam really appreciate the time you spent, um, inviting me to your home and inviting me out for the hunt. It's something I'll, I'll never forget. So I really appreciate your time and just jumping on our show and just chatting with us. I I think, yeah, your story is, is pretty fascinating. It's, it's very unique and it needs to be shared. So those listening, you know, I hope you enjoyed hearing their story. If you did, please feel free to share it with your friends and family. Hit the like button and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, stay healthy.